This is the Relic Radio Show, old-time radio entertainment still standing the test of time from RelicRadio.com. With another hour of radio drama, this is the Relic Radio Show. Thanks for joining me this week. We'll begin this time with Rocky Fortune. We'll hear his episode from March 16, 1954, titled Psychological Murder. After that, it's the Radio City Playhouse and their story from August 7th, 1948, titled Special Delivery. Frank Sinatra, transcribed as Rocky Fortune. NBC presents Frank Sinatra, starring as that footloose and fancy-free young gentleman, Rocky Fortune. Hi, this is The Rock. At least a three-carat rock these days, since I'm digging my living out of the Park Avenue hills. Matt's, I'm still hip to the Broadway and 10th Avenue beat while gathering my Mink Street paycheck. My process-serving occupation at Perry Shane's Law Factory only functions when there are processes to be served. Nothing was on the Park Avenue stove at this particular day, so I gathered up my frame and started to take it over to the other side of the tracks. <laughs> While passing along and counting the mahogany panels in the outer office, the ultra-solid door of Perry Shane's inner sanctum opened. And a perfectly normal sound emanated from Mr. Shane's larynx. Oh, Rocky. Glad I caught you. I need another witness for this will. Mrs. Bigelow, this is Mr. Fortune. Fortune? It's an odd name. It should be mine, and they could call me Miss Fortune. That's very funny. I didn't think I had a joke left in me. Uh, yeah. You should hear my material. Where do I sign? It doesn't make much difference, Mr. Fortune. It's only a formality. It's a perfectly simple will. I'm only doing it because you insist, Mr. Shane. I must insist, Jane. It's a perfectly clear legal document. You have no children, so your husband is your only beneficiary. Well, if you'd rather I sign it later, I'll wait outside till you're ready. Sign it now if you like. It makes no difference to me. Because I know it will not be executed. Well, you can take my two cents for its face value, but how can you be so sure? I'm sure, Mr. Fortune. Very sure. You see, I'm afraid I'm going to kill him. With those deadly words, I expected her to jump on a broomstick and go sailing out of the window. Instead, she picked up her hairless mink made of aging tweed and closed the door behind her. I took the bulging double O's off the space she had just vacated and put them back in my skull. Say, uh, Mr. Shane, is it not a little early for Halloween? She's a very unfortunate woman, Rocky. A woman steeped in the deadliest of fears. What's she afraid of? She's afraid of losing her mind. <laughs> she don't act like she's hanging on to it very well right now. It's all groundless fear based on heredity. 
Her mother died insane, and she's convinced the same thing will happen to her. What's all this routine about killing her husband? Shouldn't she be watched if she makes with statements like this? Well, her husband is convinced it's harmless, and he won't let anyone else look after her. She's lucky she has him, at least. Well, this is his life. Yes, it's his life, and I'm worried about it. Rocky, I hate to ask you to do this for me, but will you go out there to their home for a few days and keep your eye on things? Why not? Just give me time to go to my tailor's and pick up a special little drape shape. Uh, translation, please. A white Benny friend, a little white coat. I think this I'm going to need. With a white coat clutched in my white little hand, I made my way out to the Long Island barn of Mr. and Mrs. Thomas Bigelow. Shane paved the way with the help of Donamichi's favorite invention, and they were expecting me. The reception committee had nice, gleaming white teeth. Well, at least you could say hello. No worry, fellas. I ain't coming in without your permission. Now, take it easy, boys. Hmm. Don't tell me my fatal fascination is working. Well, it's all right. Back to the house, boys. Just open the gate, Mr. Fortune, and come in. They're friendly little kids, aren't they? Well, don't worry, Mr. Fortune. Open the gate. They obey me. I hope they get the same message. Uh, will you, uh, please make sure the gate is closed behind you? What happened to the dogs? Well, they've gone back to the house. They'll come back to the gates as soon as we're indoors. Um, have you talked with Mr. Shane? Yes, he, uh... Called about an hour ago. I'm not quite sure what he expects you to be able to do. I don't think you can do anything. I don't think anyone can do anything. Then why don't you help yourself? Where I come from, that's always the best treatment. Help myself? I can't help myself, Mr. Fortune. If I could get myself to a doctor, I'd be doing just that. So why not go? Because I, I'm afraid of what he'll do after he examines me. I'm afraid of myself, Mr. Fortune. I'm afraid of what I'm capable of doing. I am capable of murder. Now, let's take it easy, Mrs. Bigelow. Look, if you want to murder somebody, there's got to be a reason. It can't be money. Money? Oh, no. Oh, no, it's not money. And it's not hate. You see, I love my husband, Mr. Fortune. And he loves me. The house she ushered me into looked like it had been looking for a friend for years. This, like Madame, was a crazy little mixed-up house. Whenever you expected another room, you fell over another set of steps. She took me up one of these sets of steps, opened the door, and left the deposit. Me. The knocking that came upon my chamber door could have been the raven. It wasn't. Good evening, Mr. Fortune. I'm Tom Bigelow. Oh, hi. Come on in, Mr. Bigelow. I'm just sort of setting my compass. I, uh, wanted to talk to you for a few minutes before we joined Jane downstairs. Say, um, your wife's kind of upset. Well, it's nothing unusual. I'm afraid Jane is always upset by some fear or the other. From my seat in the balcony, I'd say she needs a psychologist or a psychiatrist or something pretty bad. And she needs one desperately, but I can't get her to go. This latest obsession is almost too much. You mean about being afraid of killing you? That's right. You know, she had me pick up a package for her at the sporting goods store in the village. I looked inside the package when I got home. It was a gun. When I asked her why she wanted it, she told me I needed it to protect myself against her. You know, the common sense school don't give diplomas, so I... 
can't set myself up as an expert, but it seems to me that you're not safe in this house while she's carrying around a little idea of knocking you off. No one's safe in this house. That's why I wanted to talk to you alone. I appreciate Perry Shane's concern, and you're wanting to help, but it, it isn't safe. That's why we can't keep maids or cooks. The only help we have is Fred. He drives and does as much cleaning as possible. That's why the house is always in this condition. I just can't trust her with people. What are you two talking about? Oh, we were just about to come downstairs to join you, dear. You were talking about me when I came in. What were you saying? I, I was just telling Mr. Bigelow here that I'm a big boy now, and the salt air here on the island kind of gets the appetite. Yeah, we shouldn't keep Mr. Fortune waiting for his dinner, dear. I... I'm sorry, Mr. Fortune. Closed doors do strange things to me. I hear voices through them. Voices talking about me. Well, they were voices, our voices. But we weren't discussing you. I uh, hope you won't mind, Mr. Fortune. I, I'm not feeling well. Would you mind eating with Tom? Well, of course he wouldn't, dear. In fact, I don't think it's good for you to eat alone. I'll have Fred serve Mr. Fortune's dinner, and we'll eat in your room. Oh, look, I can scramble some mean eggs myself. Oh, no, don't, don't worry about that. It's all prepared. He'll have his dinner, and we'll have a cordial together. And Fred will drive him to the station. That sounds fine. Well, I'll uh, chat for a minute while you see about dinner, Tom. Don't you tire yourself, dear. Go to your room and lie down, and I'll bring up our dinner. Very well, Tom. You, uh, you go see about dinner. Only be a few minutes. I was anxious to talk to you alone, Mr. Fortune, because of what Tom just said. He said a lot of things. He said that Fred would drive you to the station after dinner. Does that mean you aren't staying? Well... Yes. Of course, if you want, I'll come back tomorrow, but i got to get back to town tonight. But I know you planned on staying. Why, after talking to Tom, did you change your mind? I'm still wearing the same old mind, Mrs. Bigelow. I'm just pointing it towards town for the evening. I'm not a child, Mr. Fortune. You're going back to town because Tom told you what I tried to do to Fred. So what if you did try it on Fred? That don't mean it can happen to me. Tom is sure it can happen to you. Particularly now there's a gun in the house. Look, if you're unhappy about the gun, why did you have Tom bring it in the first place? I didn't want it, of course. Tom just thought I should have it handy because I'm alone when he and Fred go to the city. You didn't order it from the village? Well, of course not. I hate the sight of the thing. Particularly since I don't feel I can be trusted. Since I... Since I tried to kill Fred, I'm almost beside myself. If you'd only go to the right kind of doctors for help. I want to. I really want to. But Tom won't let me. Tom won't let you? No. I know why. He thinks they'll have me committed for good. Mrs. Bigelow, I come from a part of town where a killing only makes the inside pages of the tabloids. Small-time hoods, kids gone berserk, drink rotten, jealous husbands go haywire, and they kill. But at least they all think they got a reason. A real reason to them. I realize that. That's why I can't understand why I'm afraid of killing Tom. Why I can't understand my taking an axe to Fred. How long ago did you do this? It was one night last week. I wasn't feeling well, so, so I took a sedative and I went to bed. I dreamed that night. Fred was in my dream. Without waking, I got out of bed, put on my robe, and I went outside. I went to the garage. I got an axe and went to Fred's cottage. He was in bed asleep. I raised the axe. Fred wakened and sat straight up in bed, horrified. I calmly put down the axe. Walked out of the room and went back to bed. If he hadn't wakened, I'd have killed him. Now, now, look, Mrs. Bigelow. You're a little mixed up now. 
upset, you know. This whole thing could have been a nightmare. Never even happened. I realize that. In fact, when I woke in the morning, I, I just thought I'd had a bad nightmare. And what changed your mind? Next morning at breakfast, Fred came to Tom. Told him he was leaving. He, he didn't say why at the time. Tom questioned him later. He told him what happened. Tom finally told me. I think I get the picture. It must have happened if Fred wouldn't know about it. He couldn't be reading your dream. Exactly. How come he's still here? Tom prevailed on him to stay. He's our only hope of any help at all. Now he keeps his cottage bolted all night when he goes to bed. Tell you what, Mrs. Bigelow, in some kind of way, I don't... I don't know how right now, but some way there's got to be somebody who can help you. Your story is straight, but you've got to realize one thing. Going to the doctor doesn't mean you're going to be put away... Tell yourself that and tell Tom the same thing. I need help. I, I want help. You, you lock your door tonight. Do anything, but please. Please don't leave me here alone. Please. Hello? Perry, this is Rocky. What's the matter? Trouble? Trouble. Man, I was young at heart when I got out here, but right now I feel like I'm a traveler from here to eternity. Some pretty serious things going on around here, Perry. This gal already tried to kill the hired man. She told me how herself. Oh, then it's much worse than I thought. If she really is homicidal, she better be put away now. I don't know about that, Perry, but I do know you better fix up a date for her to see a good doc as soon as possible. Before retiring to my background for bats, Mr. Bigelow stopped in. He must have been feeling kind of rocky because that's what he was calling me. Rocky, I'm still not sure you're doing the right thing. I'd feel much better if I knew you were on your way to town. Don't worry about a thing, Tom. This will be the last night because I already talked with Shane. He's making a date for you and your wife to see a good psychiatrist tomorrow. Your wife's agreed to go. I didn't want to be forced to tell you this, Rocky, but I'll have to now. I can't take Jane to see any psychiatrist. Why not? She's willing. I know she's willing. You've convinced her there's a chance she may be helped. So maybe there is. There isn't. I know, Rocky, because I know her case. I knew her mother's case before. How do you know? Are you a doctor? Yes, I am. How come Perry Shane doesn't know this? Because all that Perry knows about me is what Jane's mother told him. All this goes back quite a long time. Her mother befriended me many years ago, helped me out of some trouble... She had the same fears that Jane now has. The family strain is very weak. In her more rational moments, before she went completely insane, Jane's mother asked me to forget my practice and just look after Jane. Didn't Jane know you'd been a doctor? No. We decided to keep it from her because we never wanted her to know her mother had fears about her, too. Tell me something, Tom. I know that when a guy gets very sick, they call in a couple of different doctors. Don't you think it'll be wise in this case... Of course, I'm not a medical man, I'm a psychologist, but I'm sure of my diagnosis in this case. My old associate, Dr. Giles of Syracuse, worked with me on several similar cases. Well, if the guy was close to you, why not call him? I have no idea where he is now. We lost track of him years ago. It's just no use, Rocky. I hate to admit it, but there's no hope for my wife. Now let me have you driven back to town. Won't be necessary, Tom. I can't close my eyes to everything you told me. You've got a lot of guts to take it this way, and I think you're a great guy, but this case is too close to you. Your wife's going to have to go to a doctor. Okay, Rocky, have it your way. 
I hope you're still alive tomorrow to take her. That was the last sound I heard from Mr. Bigelow, and the music it made to my ears was not from Harry James. This little boy was not going to help me get the treatment for his wife, even if he had to make like a Frankenstein to stop me. Somebody had to clear up some of the picture for me. Hello? Perry, it's me again. I got a long story for you, no time to tell it. You got some paper and pencil? Uh, wait a minute. Okay, go ahead. Check on a couple of things for me, Perry. Try to track down a Dr. Giles in Syracuse, New York. G-I-L-E-S, I guess. Find out if he can possibly come down tomorrow to examine the wife of his old partner, Dr. Thomas Bigelow. Who's Dr. Thomas Bigelow? Tom's father? No, it's Tom, but keep it under your cap. It's important, though, that he gets down here tomorrow. And another little item, get a hold of Finger right away and ask him to check on something for me, will you? Ask him to route out the owner of the sporting goods store in the village here and find out who in this house bought a gun from him recently. It's important to find out who ordered the gun that Tom picked up. What's going on out there? Right now, I wouldn't take any bets. Uh, what's the name of the store? Where is it? Who knows? There can only be one sports store in this one-horse village. Very fine, Mr. Shane. Uh, I'll be talking to you tomorrow. We had a third party on that line. I heard the click. Right now, it was important to find out three little items. Who was on the line with us? Why were they listening? And how much did they hear? By this time, the house was so quiet, it was noisy. First thing I did was take off the shoes and drop them one by one on the floor. Now all I had to do was try to get around the house without being heard and try to find the snooper. Ow. The door was as quiet as a dentist's drill and just as sharp. One little light burned in the hallway, but all it did was make the shadows darker and bigger. No light showed under any of the other bedroom doors. Finding it difficult to sleep, Mr. Fortune? Uh, oh, hiya, Fred. I, I find it kind of tough to get to sleep with all this quiet going on. I guess I'm used to the big city. Considering what happened to me the other night, then may I suggest you stay in your room? Yeah, yeah, I guess maybe that's a good idea. Well, see you around. Now, what do you suppose this character was doing out in the hallway after the house had called it a night? It was supposed to be dangerous for him, too. Well, all I could do now was wait till later and find out if he was spending the night outside my door. Time was pulling at my eyelids. It was dragging, and it was dragging my eyes closed with it. I was blind as a bat when I shook myself awake, only this time it was from the dark, not the drink. I listened for any sound of movement. Nothing. I got the door open this time without seeing any signs of Fred. The small light was still on, but I could see practically nothing. I made my way along the hall in the direction of what I hoped was Jane Bigelow's room. Then I heard the sound that pulled me in the right direction. I was going in the right direction, and I had the crying of a woman for my compass. I got to a door and tried the knob. I closed it just as quietly as I opened it. Jane Bigelow was in bed, staring at the ceiling and sobbing her heart out. Mrs. Bigelow. Mrs. Bigelow. Rocky. Help me, please. Please, Rocky. Help. Sure, sure. Now, let's quiet down. Now, take it easy now. Come on. 
mind make these horrible plans. What plans, dear? What's the difference? You won't be able to hear them. Only I hear them. I hear them. I hear them. A gun. A gun in your drawer. You take the gun out of your drawer. Only I can hear them. Rocky, you, you hear it too? It's not just me. Rocky is unconscious. You take the gun and you shoot Rocky. You take the gun and you shoot Rocky. Is this the voice you heard when you thought you tried to kill Fred? You do hear it too. This is the voice that keeps telling you you're going to kill your husband. Yes. How, how can you hear it? It's in my mind. Lady, this voice isn't in your mind. It's coming out of your wall someplace. But what's happening, Rocky? I'm not sure of the whole thing yet. Tell me, did the voice talk to you before? I mean, just a few minutes ago? Yes. It woke me up. It told me I went to your room. I hit you over the head. I got the picture. I think I'm getting the whole picture now, so let's give him some directions. We got to get out of here fast. He listened to my phone confab with Shane and knows we're getting on to him. This little boy's going to try to kill me tonight. But who? Who's doing this? Never mind. I'll take this little persuader along just in case. Come on, back to my room. Now, keep hold of yourself. Remember one thing. There's nothing wrong with your mind. Remember that. I know this is rough for you, but it's almost over. Just keep hold. They're bound to come after me soon. Surprise, Herman. Come on in. Rocky. What's the idea of the gun? Just following your directions. Only instead of your wife supposedly shooting me with it, which is what you planted in her mind, I'm keeping this pointer right at your skull. Rocky, what, what's going on? My head. Rocky, I feel... No, no, please don't faint on me. You feel okay. This bum has been talking to you and everything for years. Now, just swallow and pull yourself together. I'll, I'll be all right. What a smart little voice of conscience game you pulled, Mr. Bigelow. Check me on a couple of points. I don't know what you're talking about. You will. Everything fits. You were a psychologist. You knew your wife was disturbed because of how her mother died, and you kept working on her by planning things to make her believe the same thing was going to happen to her. I didn't really try to kill Fred. Check me on this, Fred. Tom here coached you on the whole deal. The voice she heard, which was done through some simple gimmick planted through the house. It gave the story of what she was supposed to have done, right? All she actually knew about was what she heard. She never even left her room. Don't tell him anything, Fred. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He don't have to. We'll find a gimmick in the house. That's how you planted every thought you wanted in her head. And why you were coming over here now to hit me over the head and then shoot me with this gun. Later, you'd convince her that she did it. It would happen that way, too, because it was all familiar to her. Familiar because of the thoughts you planted through the voice. Why did he do all of this? How, how could he do all of this to me? He was doing a very smart thing. Shane and everybody else knew that you had the obsession you were afraid of killing him. I'll make book. What he planned on doing was shooting you with his gun and then claiming self-defense against an insane woman. Or did both of you plan that, Fred? Uh, that wasn't my idea. I don't go along with this murder business. Shut up, you fool. There was never any thought of killing anyone. The life you were leading your wife was worse than death. I want to know one thing, Bigelow. I'm sure now you no longer practice as a psychologist because you were thrown out by all the decent associates who knew you. Was that the little trouble Jane's mother got you out of? No, no longer practiced as a psychologist. You mean Tom was once a psychologist? That's right. Figures, too. Only where decent docs use their know-how to help people, like most of them do, this crumb used his to try to destroy you. This I'll make book on without waiting for Shane's information. But why? Why did he hate me like this? 
He didn't hate you. He just loved your money more. NBC has presented Frank Sinatra as that footloose and fancy-free young gentleman, Rocky Fortune. Others in tonight's cast include Maurice Hart, Betty Lou Gerson, Marvin Miller, and Frank Gerstle. Tonight's script was written by Norm Sickle. Andrew C. Love directed. Now, to tell you about next week's adventure, here's Frank Sinatra as Rocky Fortune. What would you do if a guy offered you a one-way ticket to the moon? All expenses paid. Well, sir, this happens to me a couple of weeks ago. And the funny thing is, I'm all set to leave when I find out that the rocket to the moon is really a rocket to the morgue. And I'm traveling as a corpse, first class. Tell you about it next week. See you around. Enjoy Fibber, McGee, and Molly tonight on the NBC Radio Network. The National Broadcasting Company presents Radio City Playhouse, Attraction 5. Attraction 5, Special Delivery, starring Abby Lewis as Hilda, a woman tormented by doubt and jealousy. The script was written by Harry W. Junkin, who also directs the production. Here is Radio City Playhouse, Attraction 5, Special Delivery. Maybe you don't believe in coincidence. Maybe you won't believe all this could happen in one day. Or that it's too much to believe that Neil would telephone five minutes after that letter was mailed. Maybe you'll say some coincidence. Or say it. It's the same thing that picks one train out of all the trains in the world. One car out of all the cars in the world. And one railroad crossing out of all the railroad crossings in the world. And... As she writes, her hand sticks to the paper. The noon heat is unmoving, solid, relentless. At the end of the letter, she signs her name. Your loving daughter-in-law, Hilda. And that my fine, prancing husband will fix you. Ellen! Judge James T. Bradley. Ellen! Air mail, special delivery. Ellen, for heaven's sake, what are you doing? 
Yes, Mrs. Bradley. I want you to mail this. It's airmail special delivery. You'll need a 13 and a 5. Here's a dollar. Get the stamps at the drugstore. Yes, Mrs. Bradley. If you hurry, you'll catch the one o'clock pickup from the mailbox at the corner. I'll hurry, Mrs. Bradley. It's to Mr. Bradley's father in Washington, and it's very important. It's got to get there on time. Okay, Mrs. Bradley, I'll hurry. <laughs> P-R-S-U-S government. M-O-N-T. Post office. 8th Avenue, 31st Street. Pennsylvania 6. 7096. Post office. I want to inquire about a letter. Yes, madam. A letter mailed just now from New York to Washington, air mail special delivery. When would it get there? Well, it should be there by 9 o'clock tonight, madam. If it's marked special delivery, they'd send it out right away. You're sure it would be there by 10? Of course, I can't guarantee it, madam. But you think it would be? Yes, madam. All right. Thank you. Oh, Neil. How could you? Neil, how could you? <laughs> Hello? Hilda? Oh. That you, Hilda? Yes. You sound peculiar. I'm all right. Is it still convenient for me to drop in tonight? I was expecting you. Ellen has the rest of your things packed. They'll be ready. I'd like to see you, Hilda. What do you want? A fond farewell? Hilda. I've got the evening all planned. We can toast each other in nitric acid. I wish you'd listen to reason. Reason? You, you... You, 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 Hilda, we can't talk on the phone. You're so mixed up with love and hate, you don't know what to think. I don't want to leave you. I love you. I've told you that a thousand times. I've said it so often that... You almost believe it. Deep down, you believe it. Don't you? Oh, Neil. I don't know. One minute I could claw you apart, and the next I could... Hilda, it won't hurt you to talk to me. Will it? it? It always has. I love you, darling. You can't just throw me out like this. There's nothing with Sharon. There's never been anything with Sharon. If only we could... It's if true, only dear. I could believe... It's true, dear. Honestly true. I... I just can't believe this is happening to us. You can't mean it. Please see me. Just once more. Please. Hilda. Neil... Neil, do you really think we could get... I'm sure we could. Oh, Hilda, darling, I love you. You could only trust me. But you're so... Oh, I know. I know. Say it. I'm eaten with jealousy. It's true, Hilda. Oh, Neil, I'd give anything if we could. I try not to be jealous. You don't know what it's like. One minute I want to... I know. I know. Don't let's talk on the phone, dear. I'll be up tonight. Just remember, no matter what else you think, I love you. Want to come for dinner? Oh, Hilda, you'll never be sorry. We can get back together again. You'll never be sorry, I promise. Maybe we can. Maybe. I want to terribly. I can't talk anymore. Come about eight. All right, Hilda. Goodbye. Goodbye. Why is it this one moment I love him to death? 
And the next moment, I want to kill him. I... Oh, the letter. Ellen, never mind that letter. Ellen. Ellen. Ellen! If I parked in the shade, Mrs. Bradley, the car would be cooler. This is all right, Brooks. What time is it? Uh, Twenty-five past one, Mrs. Bradley. But it says on the letterbox that the pickup is at one. Brooks, where can he be? Oh, he'll be along. It, it says one o'clock on the box. Why don't they clear it at one o'clock? You think we've missed him? Well, I wouldn't know, Mrs. Bradley. Brooks, I'm going to ask for a letter back. Do you think he'll give it to me? Well, I wouldn't know, Miss Bradley. After all, I wrote it. It's not as though it was somebody else's letter. No, Miss Bradley, not when you wrote it. I mean, the devil doesn't come. Oh, he'll probably be along soon, Mrs. Bradley. Oh, if I'd only caught Ellen before she knew it. Brooks, there he is. Uh, want me to come with you, Miss Bradley? No, wait here, Brooks. I won't be long. Yeah, lady, what is it? Are you going to open that letter box? Well, that's what I get paid for, lady. How much? What? How much do you get paid? What are you talking about? How much money do you make? Huh. I don't see as how that's any of your business, lady. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to Ah, that's you okay, see. lady. You see, I mailed, I mean, I made mail. I mean, I mailed a letter. Uh, you better get that straight, lady. Yes, yes, I mailed a letter. I wrote it, too. Just a little over an hour ago. It's in this box. I must get it back. What? I must get it back. I can prove I wrote it. I brought a sample of my handwriting so that you'd know that I wrote it. Uh It's addressed to Judge Bradley in Washington. It's airmail special delivery, and it's terribly important that I get it back. I forgot to put something in it that I should have, and it's terribly important. Oh, now slow down, lady. You're not making sense. What? What did you put in the letter, lady? Listen to me, please. It's terribly urgent. I'm listening, all right, but you're not making sense. What do you mean? I mean there isn't a chance of you getting a letter that's been dropped in this box. But why? I wrote it. It's mine. Mine. I shouldn't have written it. It's a terribly bad, wicked letter that I shouldn't have... Oh, now it's wicked, huh? What? First you say you left something out, now it's wicked. What is in the letter, lady? Listen, I'll give you $500 for that letter. Uh, You will? Yes. Yes, right now. I've got it here. The money right in my purse. Keep it there. What? That cop. No, no, across the street. He's watching us. It's broad daylight. Now, don't start waving $100 bills to be right under a cop's nose. $500 for my letter. Must be some letter. Will you give it to me? That's your car over there? Big one with the chauffeur? What of it? Make it a thousand. I can't. I, I can't possibly give you a thousand dollars. I haven't got it. Get it, then. I can't. Okay, lady. But I can't. I can't get a thousand dollars without my husband wanting to know what for. Well, tell him, then. Uh, this letter. You having a little fun on the side? Oh, you. All right, have it your way, lady. Here, $500 right now. Take it. Take it and give you me... You bless that door again and so help me, I'll lace you one. That cop's coming over now. Shut up, can't you? Give it to me. Give it to Shut me. Shut up, that cop's coming over. I'll follow you in my car. Beat it, beat it. I'll follow you. All right, but beat it. Find a place that's quiet. I'll follow you. Brooks, sure. 
Surely you can hang on to a mail truck with a cat. Uh, don't worry, Mrs. Bradley. Where's he going? Oh, probably another box on his roof. Watch him. Uh, this traffic's getting heavier. Look, he's making that light. Go on, Brooks. Never mind the light. Go on. I can't, Mrs. Bradley. Sorry. You've lost him. I couldn't help it. I'd have run down And just car. where do you think you're going, chum? Oh, I'm sorry, officer, but uh, we're catching a train. Now, ain't that... Well, what? we're in a... Officer, big... please let us through. It's terribly important. Yes, yes, and it's also important that you obey traffic signals. Now, back up. Officer, please, you must let us Look, pass. lady, obstructing traffic. I'm telling you to back up and wait for the green. Now, back up. Yes, officer. You've lost it, you fool, Brooks. Well, I'm sorry, Mrs. Bradley, but if I'd kept on going, I'd have run down that policeman. It's all right, Brooks. It's not your fault. I guess you'd better take me home. U.S. government. M. M. N. Post Office. Pennsylvania. Six. Seven. Oh. Nine. in charge of everything. Well, just what was it you wanted, madam? I asked you a perfectly plain question. I want to know who's in charge of everything. Mr. Rogers is the postal superintendent, madam. Let me speak to him, please. Just a moment, madam. Hello. Hello. Rogers speaking. Mr. Rogers, this is Mrs. Neil J. Bradley speaking. I must see you about something very important. If I came right down to your office, could you see me? Just what was it you wanted, Mrs. Bradley? I can't possibly tell you about it over the telephone. I must see you, Mr. Rogers. Please let me come down. Well, if it's that important, why, certainly. 8th Avenue and 31st Street. Thank you, Mr. Rogers. I'll be down in 20 minutes. Come in, Mrs. Bradley. Thank you. Sit down, won't you? Thank you. Now, what can I do for you? It's hard to know where to start. Do you think that people who aren't really basically bad can ever do wicked things? I beg your pardon? I've done something. Something ghastly. Mrs. Bradley, I don't know quite what you mean. Mr. But... Rogers, are you married? What? Are you? Well, as a matter of fact, I am. Why? Do you love your wife? Mrs. Bradley, what are you talking about? Do you? Why, yes, yes, of course I love my wife. Do you love her so much that sometimes you want to kill her? Really, Mrs. Bradley? I can't for the life of me understand what it is you want me to do. Well, I... I wrote a letter. A special delivery letter. A letter? A dreadful, terrible letter. That it isn't true at all. It's terrible. And I've simply got to get it back. If I don't get it back, it's my husband's life and my life. I've just got to get it back. Mrs. Bradley, there's no use your going on. You come down here to get a letter back. It's quite impossible. Quite impossible. Listen to me. Please listen to me. You don't know what was in the letter. It wouldn't matter. That two lives will be hopelessly wrecked. I'm sorry. How can you be so callous? 
Mrs. Bradley, the moment a letter is mailed, it becomes the property of the addressee. It's an absolutely unbreakable regulation. Regulation? This letter is murder. Mrs. Bradley, you'd better go home. You're upset. Please let me tell you, please. My husband and I were very close. We were very deeply in love. I think we could be again. Anyway, he was overseas for four years. France mostly. I took it very badly. I was awful about it. I cried at the least provocation. I imagined it with, with all sorts of French women. Oh, oh, I know I'm neurotic. But I just can't help being that way. Jealous. I've always been jealous. I fight it. I swear I'll never again be suspicious or horrible. But I am. I was always that jealous of his work, his business, his friends, everything. Then we lost a baby. I'm a little older than me. Mrs. Bradley, this is very hard on you. Why don't you let me send you home in my car? It's no use. I was going afraid into... that he was beginning to think that I was too old for him, too old for him to love. He began to see something of another woman. Sharon Elders. I thought I'd go crazy. I used to plan how I could kill her, then kill him. Oh, don't look so stricken. I never got to the point that I attempted murder, but I... Go on. I reached that point today. What do you mean? There is murder in that letter. I, I don't understand. Do I have to tell you everything? Can't you understand? That's what I don't want to do. Mrs. Bradley, I can't do anything for you. Really, I can't. I'd like to help you, but I can't. But why? Why is my letter? I wrote it. Nobody else has seen it. Nobody. You can't do anybody any harm if you give it back. I'll tear it up right here in your office. You can tear it up yourself. Nobody will ever know. I swear I'll never tell anybody. Never. Please, Mr. Rochester. I'm nearly out of my mind. Mrs. Bradley, you'll have to excuse me. Just after I mail the letter, Neil telephoned. He's coming over tonight for dinner. And Mr. Rogers, if that letter's delivered to his father in Washington, I'll never see Neil again in my life. Do you understand that? Never again in my life. You can't refuse me. In the name of common, ordinary pity. You've got to listen to me. Please, Mrs. Bradley, people will hear you. I was going to kill him tonight. What? Yes, it's true. I was going to kill him. I planned it all week. I was cold and relentless and incredibly clever. Every last detail was planned. The police would be fooled. Everybody would be fooled. It was perfect. It was a perfect murder. And now you're not going to kill him, are you? You're going home. Please, Mrs. Bradley, let me take you home. You don't understand. I was killing him tonight by taking my own life. He would have followed me because... Because if I could get that letter back, no one would ever know. Don't you see? Can't you understand? You mean you actually plan to kill yourself and have your husband take the blame? Yes. The letter was to his father, Judge Bradley. The letter was part of the plot. I said that I knew Neil would kill me tonight. The letter was to be the final piece of evidence. Oh, I've been horrible, jealous and awful. But I'm not bad, Mr. Rogers. Really, I'm not. I just can't help it. I'll never be like this again. Please help me. Please. Well, I... Really, Mrs. Bradley, you make it so difficult for me to know what to do. If you can't. You can't. That's all. Wait a minute. Give me the special delivery desk on three. Special delivery airmail? Yes. Mr. Rogers, you'll never be sorry, I promise you. If you help me, you'll never regret it. I swear on the... Hello? Who's that? Oh, Johnson. Uh, see if you've got a letter for Bradley. B-R-A-D-L-E-Y in Washington. 
All right. They enter all special delivery letters in a book. What? When did you mail it? Today. One o'clock. One o'clock today. Air mail to Washington. Yeah. Hmm. All right, Johnson. No, no, that's all. Thanks. Well? Your letter's gone, Mrs. Bradley. It'll make the plane that leaves for Washington in 20 minutes. Faster, Brooks. We've only ten more minutes. Well, we're doing 70, Mrs. Bradley. Then do 90. Do 100. Please, God, help me. Help me get Give me time. Passengers for Flight 7 to Washington. Flight 7 to Washington. Now loading through gate number 2. All aboard, please. Is, is that the next flight to Washington? Yes, madam. Leaving in three minutes. I want a seat. I'm sorry, madam. The flight is full. I've got to get on that plane. Well, there might be a cancellation on flight eight, madam. If you care to stand by for an hour, I'll see what Who's I... Who's in charge of the mail on that plane? Well, just what is it you want, madam? If you keep quiet, I'll tell you. I want to know who's in charge of the mail. Is that the ship out there? The big silver one? Is that the one that's going to Washington? Uh, yes, madam. But it's quite impossible for me to get... Madam! Madam, come back here! You can't go that's through there! Madam! Madam! All aboard, please. All aboard, please. Mister, you. I've got to get on this plane. Would you sell me your seat for $500? I beg your pardon. I, I don't think I understand. You, miss. I'll give you $500 for your seat on this flight. I'm awfully sorry, but I have to be in Washington myself tonight. Excuse me. Let me by, please. I beg your pardon. Let me by. Your name, sir? Uh, T.L. Haley. Seat 16. Jordan, yes. I don't have a seat, but I must get on this plane because I've written a letter that's being carried on it. And I have to get to Washington when the letter gets there so that perhaps I can stop it from being delivered to my father-in-law. I should... Madam, have you a reservation on this flight? No, no, no. I keep telling you that. But you'll have to put somebody else off. I must be on this plane. I must. I must. But, madam, if you haven't a ticket, I... But I buy a ticket. I don't want to ride for nothing. But there aren't any tickets left. Will you see the ticket agent in the airport, please? No, no, no. It's this flight I want. I must be in Washington before a letter that I wrote that's on this plane. A very silly letter. Would you mind stepping aside, madam, please? You're preventing the passengers from boarding. Your name, sir? Brand. T.J. Seat four, Mr. Brad. Sure, this letter I wrote on this plate, and I simply... But your name, madam? Cook, Miss E.J. Seat uh, 11, Mr. Stewart, I must get to Washington before that letter does. I may be able to explain to my father-in-law... Uh, John L. Frank. Seat six, thank you. Stewart, for heaven's sake, listen to me. I've written a very silly letter that I shouldn't have written. If I don't get it, my husband... Your name, madam? Mrs. George McDonald. Please, Stuart, can't you help me? I don't need to bother you, but it's so urgent that I get on this plane. If you'd only let me explain it. Stuart, I haven't taken this one. It's a matter Will you listen to me? Madam, I'm sorry. I don't doubt that your trip is urgent, but you haven't a seat, and I... stand up. I don't need a seat. Madam, we're ready to take off. You must leave the ship. Please, let me stay. I'll give you $500 if you let me stay. Please, Stuart. Madam, if you won't get off, I'll have to have you put off. Well, I won't. I won't get off. I won't. I won't. Mr. Hill. Mr. Hill, will you help me, please? I can't do anything with this woman. She won't get off the ship. Oh, all right. I'll get off.
Shall I drive you home now, Mrs. Bradley? Mrs. Bradley! What? Home now? Yes. Mr. Bradley will be home for dinner. Some coffee, Neil. No, thanks. Aren't you well, Hilda? Yes, I'm fine. You seem awfully nervous. Nervous? Never seen you like this before. Hilda, please don't worry about things. It's all settled. Isn't it? I guess so. You guess so? I don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't understand you tonight, Hilda. I don't understand myself. What time is it? Quarter after ten? Any minute now. What? Nothing. What do you mean, any minute now? Nothing. You must have meant something. It doesn't matter. Hilda, please, don't brood anymore. I thought I'd come up here and... that we just settled it all. I even told the hotel I'd be checking out tonight. I thought maybe I'd come back here tonight, Hilda. thought you'd want me to. I do want you to. I do. Neil, go for your bags now. Go right now, will you? Please, it'll only take you an hour and... Hilda, what is bothering you? You're shaking like a leaf. I, I can't stand anymore. Hilda, what is it? You've been acting so strangely all evening. Please, don't cry, Hilda. Tell me what it is. I can help. Darling, it kills me to see you like this. There's nothing to cry about now. Everything's going to be all... Stop! Leave me alone. Don't touch me. Hilda... You might as well go. This place you shall stay any longer. Darling, I've never seen you so upset. Here, drink this. Please, Hilda, have some coffee, please. I don't want any coffee. Please, here, drink it. Uh, it it's cold. It'll do you good. If I dropped that cup, you'd have murdered me. Don't. What? Don't answer it. Hilda. Don't answer it, I tell you. You can't answer it in that condition. Leave it. Leave it. Let it ring. Hilda, don't be silly. Hello? Yes, this is Regent 49970. Thank you. Washington must be dead. No. Please come. Hello, Dad? It's Neil. Well, I didn't expect to be here either. But Hilda and I have everything patched up. Well, I'm glad, too. God help me. You what? A letter from Hilda? No. Tonight? What? Well, uh, you better talk to Hilda about it. Here, talk to Dad. No. No, I don't want to talk to him. Control yourself, Hilda. It's something about a letter you wrote. I know. I know. I don't want to talk to him. Uh, just a minute, Dad. Hilda, will you control yourself? Did you write him a special delivery letter? Yes. Yes. Well, he's lost it or something. What? Talk to him. For goodness sake, stop crying. Tell me. He'll tell you. Tell me! The postman brought him a letter in your handwriting. Special delivery. He took it out, laid it down on the terrace railing while he fumbled for his glasses, and it blew off. Gone! By the time he got down eight flights to the street, it had blown into Kingdom Come or something. Here, talk to him. What? What did you say? Give it that phone. Hello? Yes. What? Yes. Well, it was nothing to it. Really, I... I... It's not so silly, I... 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 I...
You have just heard Special Delivery, as written by Harry W. Junkin, who also directed the production. Abby Lewis starred as Hilda Bradley. Other players in the cast included Lon Clark, Scott McKay, Bernard Grant, Lanny Carville, Mildred Clinton, and Joel Marston. The music was composed and conducted by Dr. Roy Shields. Radio City Playhouse is supervised for the National Broadcasting Company by Richard P. McDonough. Next week, Hit and Run, written by Max Shue. It is the story of a man who made a mistake and made amends in the only way he knew how. In the demanding role of Hal Lawrence will be heard the young American actor Casey Allen, whose brilliant performance some weeks ago on Radio City Playhouse merited a return appearance. We sincerely hope you'll join us next Saturday for Hit and Run, Attraction 6, Radio City Playhouse. People of the war-shaken lands of Europe, men, women, and children still look to the people of the United States for help in this period of hunger and want. For just ten dollars, you can send a care package to relatives or friends in Europe, or if you have no particular person or family you wish to help, one of CARE's member agencies will choose a family for you. Just send ten dollars to CARE, C-A-R-E, New York. The address again, CARE, C-A-R-E, New York. This is Robert Warren speaking. This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. That's this week's hour of old-time radio drama. Tune in tomorrow for some Case Closed, an hour of mystery stories. You can find it at relicradio.com, where you'll find past episodes of this show, all the other podcasts, thousands of other old-time radio episodes, our shoutcast stream, and a way to donate if you'd like to help support this and all of the shows. It's the only way this is made possible. We have no advertising. It's brought to you by you and for you. Visit donate.relicradio.com if you can help out or click on the donate link on the website. Thank you, as always, to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me today. Be back next Tuesday with another hour of the Relic Radio Show.